Good morning. We are so glad that you could meet at Central Church of the Nazarene today. We're in the middle of a sermon series, actually it's going to end next week, called the Breaker Downer series, kind of a play on HGTV's Fixer Upper series, where we are breaking down the walls, the problems, the situations that may come in our lives and how to overcome them. We're using the story of the Battle of Jericho when Joshua and the people of Israel uh, crossed over the River Jordan on dry ground and, and God's instructions were to lap around the city of Jericho once a day for six days and on the seventh day do that seven times and the priests would blow on their horns and the people would shout and the walls of Jericho would come tumbling down. And that brings us up to today, step six. Only one more after this and that's simply this, to obey. It's one thing to know God's plans It's one thing to to know what God wants you to do. It's another to actually do it, to execute those plans, to, to, to know and do what God would have you to do. And so today we're going to be talking about obedience. God asked the children of Israel to march around the city of Jericho once a day for six days. They did. He asked the children of Israel to march around the city of Jericho seven times on the seventh day. They did. He asked the, the priest of the, of the, of the tribe, to, of the Levites, to blow their horns after they had marched around seven times. They did. And he asked the people to give a mighty shout after the priest blew their horns after they marched around the city seven times on the seventh day. And they did. And God said the walls of, of Jericho would come tumbling down. And guess what? They did. And make sure you understand, none of these instructions were a sound military strategy. None of these things would be the way that you would put together a battle plan to overcome a mighty city like Jericho. But God's people chose to obey those instructions to the exact detail. And because they obeyed, the impossible became possible. That's the secret to success. That's the recipe of success, and that is obedience. It wasn't prayer or fasting that brought down the the walls of Jericho, although prayer and fasting is really important. It wasn't the military strategy of the Israelites that brought them down. No, it was the power and blessing of God that was unleashed by the faith and obedience of God's people. Remember, God worked in their midst. and He could have have knocked down those, those, those walls on day one. He didn't need the people to march around the city once a day for six days and seven times on the seventh. He didn't need that. He's God Almighty. He could have, he could have knocked them down day one. But God wanted the people to follow this unconventional plan, not only to confuse the, the, the people of Jericho, but also to see if the people would obey him. The, the children of Israel didn't have an exact uh, clear record on obeying God and obeying God's plans. So would they follow God's plans? Would they follow it to a T? Or would they try to adjust them, modify them, change them to make them a little more, I don't know, palatable? Have you ever tried to do that? Kind of negotiate with God. You want me to do what, God? Oh, I'd love to do that, but, you know, I'm kind of busy right now. Uh, you know, not today, God. I'll, I could do, how about tomorrow? I'll talk to that person tomorrow. God, I, I'd, love to, I'd love to do that, but, you know, financially, we're just not really able to right now. I'd love to, to help out there when I retire. The problem is those situations, those circumstances never happen. Imagine if the Israelites had had made it around lap one of Jericho. Nothing happened, of course. And so the next day they went around lap two. Nothing happened, of course. And on day three, they made it around and nothing happened, of course. And imagine if they would have said, you know, I know this was the plan, but listen, 
nothing's really happening. Why don't we get, some, get on our camo and get some ladders and we can climb over and maybe at the same time we're climbing over, some other guys can get some shovels and we can tunnel underneath those, those walls. And I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, we could, we could probably take the city tomorrow. Had the, had the p- people that had done that, I'm convinced they would have failed. Flat out failed. Lord gave them an impossible situation. And the only way it was going to work is if they followed his instructions his way. That was the only way a miracle was going to come. It was going to be his way or no way. Now that shouldn't surprise us because God's plans have, that's the way God has always worked. You know, God's plans to build a great nation. How, what was his plans to build a great nation? Use an old, old couple, Abraham and Sarah, to have a son. Have a son when Abraham was 100 years old. Crazy plans. How was he going to save the world? Send his son to earth, not to a king in a palace, but, but to the son of teenage parents, a carpenter and born in a, in a barn. And how was he going to spread this message to the entire world? He used mostly a group of fishermen and utterly ordinary people to do it. God's plans never seem to make sense. That's why the Bible says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's plans don't always make sense. We talked about that in week two. But our response needs to simply be obey. We know what God's plans are. We have one task obey that's it we used to sing a chorus i think we'll sing it at the end today but i'll say yes lord yes to your will and to your way i'll say yes lord yes i will trust you and obey when your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart i'll agree and my answer will be yes lord yes can you sing that can you say that can you mean that when jesus was giving his final instructions to the disciples matthew 28 The very last thing, according to Matthew, that Jesus told them was what we refer to as the Great Commission. And in that passage, you may recall, Jesus said to them, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. And sometimes we stop right there, the Church of the Nazarene, that's kind of our mission statement, you know, making Christ-like disciples in the nations. But Jesus goes on to say, what exactly does that mean to be a disciple? And so he, he, he goes on and says, that means baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So disciples are baptized. And then he says this, And teaching them to what? To obey everything that I have commanded. Teach them to obey. We like to think of Jesus as kind of a warm and fuzzy Jesus. You know, the type of guy who puts kids on his lap, who loves, loves, loves everybody, and Jesus does love everybody. We like to point out that Jesus is a friend of sinners, and Jesus certainly was a friend of sinners. But that does not mean that Jesus kind of winked at sin. That does not mean that Jesus excuse sinful behavior that does not mean that jesus just you know uh uh let 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 overlooked shortcoming sinfulness of of people that's not the jesus of the bible the jesus of the bible is the is the one that said go and sin no more and jesus of the bible is the same one who yes he had kids on his lap and he blessed the children but he also went into the temple and started flipping over table tables and made a whip and started to use it and Jesus is the one that said, teach them to obey my commands. Have you listened? Have you listened to Jesus' commands? He was very demanding. It's not just winking at sin. Jesus was very, very, have you read the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus gives some very specific commands. If anyone wants to, to, to sue you take, and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Oh, Jesus, says, I like my coat. Are you sure? Love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. Jesus, I can love most people, but not that guy. I, don't I get an exemption for that guy? Do you know what he did to me? 
Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. Lord, you know, it's nice to have new things, shiny things, you know, good things, better things. Do not worry. Well, Lord, you know I'm a worry wart. I, I, you know, that's just the way I'm wired. Or how about this one? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. That sounds like that's what a nice, fuzzy, warm Jesus would do. Everyone's in. Not everyone who says that will be entered in, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Sounds like obey. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. It doesn't sound like warm and fuzzy Jesus, but demanding Jesus. And he's demanding that we obey him. The walls of Jericho came down not because the people didn't waver. They didn't call a town hall meeting and, and say, all right, let's take a vote. Should we, should we march around the walls six times, uh, once a day for six days and seven times? Is that the plan? Everybody in favor say aye. They didn't do that. They simply obeyed. Let me show you what I'm talking about in the New Testament. See if you can pick up a common theme in these stories. In Matthew 4, Matthew says this. One day, Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. They left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And he called to them, too. They immediately followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind. Then check this out from Luke chapter 5. Later, Jesus left the town. He saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. The one thing that jumps out at me in all those stories, Jesus said, follow me, and these guys jumped at the chance. They, they didn't run home to grab their toothbrush. They didn't say, Jesus, let me pack a sandwich. Andrew didn't say, hey, Jesus, let me have a little confab with Peter. Let's talk about, we're going to talk about this fishing for people business. I, we don't know. Let, let, let's, we're going to huddle up. Hold us. Give us a second. And do any of that. It seems like, like without hesitation, Jesus said, follow me. And they said, okay. It doesn't always happen that way. It, it, there's a disciple that Jesus called that said, didn't work that way at all. In fact, we've read this story plenty of times, but I'm going to read it again. Someone came to Jesus with this question, Teacher, what good deed must I have to, for eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good, but to answer your question, if you are to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? Jesus replied, You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all these commands. So far, so good, right? He's doing, he's doing what we're talking about today. He's obeyed all these commands. What else must I do? If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And there it is. Really, really what Jesus is asking this guy is no different from what he asked James and John and Peter and Andrew and Levi. You know, leave everything, come and follow me. But verse 22 says, but when the young man heard this, he went away sad. Why? Because he had so many possessions. If you were to line up Peter, Andrew, James, John, Levi, and the rich young ruler and said, who do you want to be a church member? Of these six, who would be the best church member? I think we'd choose the rich young ruler. I mean, he, he, he's rich, he's following all the commands. You know how fishermen are, fishermen kind of stink. They got, they, got, they got fish guts in their fingernails, we don't want them. 
Tax collectors, we all know about tax collectors, tax collectors, everybody hated tax collectors. No, we don't want, no, it'd be the rich young ruler. He would be the one we'd want. He's, he's the one, of course. But he's the one that walks away sad. For he had many possessions, his stuff. It was his stuff holding him back from being obedient to, to Jesus. Let me ask you, is there something holding you back from giving your all complete obedience to Jesus Christ? Check out these three more uh, followers in Luke chapter 9. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Sounds good. Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one puts a hand to the plow, looks back, is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now these three all seem like legitimate requests. It's not like the rich young ruler who, you know, all, the only thing holding him back was money. These three, it seems like those are, are good excuses. The first guy was, he was worried about the, you know, the travel arrangements. Foxes have dens, birds have nests, we might not have. I get that. I don't like, I like having my own pillow. I want to make sure that it's comfortable. I had to have a sleep study done a week ago. I forgot my pillow at the, at the place. And so for the next like five days, because I couldn't get around there, five days I had to go without my pillow. Ah, I understand this guy. You know, you, you want to have your own pillow. And then the second guy, he's, I mean, he's burying his dad for crying out loud. That's a legitimate excuse. And the third guy, he just wants to tie up some loose ends. You can't just drop your nets and go, Jesus, can you? Most Bible scholars think that these guys were just making excuses. The, the first guy was, was worried more about comfort than obedience. The third guy was simply putting off being obedient, procrastinating. I'll do this, Jesus, but, but first, let me, th- this is what I need to do first before I can really obey. And we say, well, okay, maybe those two, but the, the second guy, it's, a, it's his dad's funeral. You tell me he can't go to his dad's funeral? You need to understand about funerals in the first century, different from funerals today. When a loved one died, you don't go to the, to the funeral home and pick out a casket and then go to the flower shop and pick out a spray for the, for the top of the coffin and then go to the cemetery and make sure you pick out the perfect plot and then go to home and, and look for pictures that you can put on a picture board and maybe get your, you know, your, your, your millennial kid to make a little video because you don't know how to do that. And so that, that's not what happened. In the first century, somebody died... The funeral was, you know, a couple hours later. There, there was no embalming. You didn't want a dead body hanging around, the diseases or, or whatnot. Died funeral. So more than likely, this guy's da- dad had not died yet. And so he's saying, Jesus, give me a few years. In a few years, then, 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 then I'll really, then I'll really follow you. Now, it's not as obvious. It's not as obvious as the rich young ruler who shook his head and went away sad. In fact, some of these guys said, said, Jesus, I'll follow you. But here are the conditions. Jesus is saying, listen, are you going to follow me or not? Remember, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Levi, they heard, follow me. And they said, okay, let's go. What strikes me about them is, is they didn't seem to worry about those externals. Their livelihood, Peter and John, or Peter and Andrew, they left it. Their family even, James and, and John, left their dad behind. Their status, accomplishments, Levi left the tax collector's booth. All because Jesus said, follow. They were obedient, completely obedient. 
Will you? Will you be? Obedience isn't always easy. I'm warning you, it's not always comfortable. It doesn't always make sense. It's not like something you can, you can just figure out on a stat sheet. The children of Israel, they heard, they heard the word march around Jericho. And what was their response? Up, two, three, four. Up, two, three, four. They started marching. Here's the deal. When we obey, God blesses. The children of Israel obeyed, followed the plan exactly, and the walls of Jericho came, came tumbling down. In the New Testament, we see the same thing. In Luke 17, Jesus encounters some, some lepers. And this is how Luke tells the story. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Okay, this is a situation that Jesus has been in, you know, hundreds of times. People, people in need, they see Jesus, they call out to Jesus, uh, uh, have pity on us, heal us, Jesus, take care of us. And often, Jesus, it's just like, boom, heal, boom, heal, boom, 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 healed, healed, healed. That's just, that's just Jesus, but not this time. Look at what happens this time. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, not immediately, it wasn't boom, healed. Go show yourself to the priest. Wait a minute, Jesus, we can't show ourselves to the priest because we're not healed yet. Wait a minute, Jesus, we can't show ourselves to the priest because we can't come in contact with people. Jesus told them, go show yourselves to the priest. And then the Bible says, as they went, they were cleansed. They obeyed what Jesus said first, and then they were healed. It happens in John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, there's a similar story, really, that takes place of a man who's been born blind. And, and again, Jesus has been in this situation hundreds of times. He'd see people born blind, boom, healed, done. Not this time. In John chapter 9, this is when the disciples asked Jesus that stupid question. Um, um, who sinned, Jesus, his parents or this man? Again, he was born blind. How was he supposed to sin in, his, in, the, in, in vitro? Impossible. And so Jesus basically brushes that off. But then he does this. He spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva and put it on the man's eyes, which is kind of gross. You know, again, he didn't just heal him. He made this little mud pie, stuck it in the guy's eye, mud on your face, big disgrace. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went, he obeyed, and washed, he obeyed, and he came home seeing. My point, just like the ten lepers, they were healed after they obeyed. This guy was healed after he obeyed. Obedience ushered in the blessings of God. The children of Israel obeyed. God worked a miracle. In your personal Jerichos. Maybe you're facing, maybe it's a difficult circumstance. Maybe it's, it's a difficult, painful situation. Maybe it's a, a huge worry. And you want to be blessed by God in the midst of all that. I get that. Everybody wants to be blessed by God. I've yet to meet a person that says, do you want to be blessed by God? No, thank you. I'd rather not be. No one says that. But the question is, are you obeying God? Are you obeying what you know God would have for you to do? Go back to the rich young ruler. You know, Jesus came up to him and said, follow me. And what do I got to do? Imagine if he would have said yes. Imagine if, if he would have heard Jesus say, you know, sell all you have to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. And imagine if at that point, the rich young ruler said, said what? Really, Jesus? That's all you want? You want me to get rid of the stuff that's going to rust or wear out anyway and follow you? Absolutely, I'm in. 
Imagine if he would have done that. I think if he would have said that, then he wouldn't be the anonymous rich young ruler, but he would be a household name like Peter and Andrew and James and John and Levi. I think we would have heard stories about how this rich young ruler left everything behind and yet he decided to serve Jesus and follow after Jesus and all these people came to know Jesus. Why? Because this guy said yes to Jesus. I happen to believe that if that rich young ruler would have said yes to Jesus, he never would have regretted a second. He wouldn't have regretted selling his chariot. He wouldn't have regretted getting rid of his stuff. He wouldn't have regretted giving away all of his money. He would have said instead, the greatest day of my life was the day I saw Jesus and I asked him what I had to do and he said, you got to sell everything and that was the easiest decision I ever made because I said yes to him and my life has been awesome ever since. But that's not the way it reads. It simply says he shook his head and he went away sad. Are you obeying God right now? Well, pastor, I don't know exactly what God wants me to do. Well, you know what Jesus has already said? Already said in his Bible and the word? Are you doing what Jesus has said to do right now? Are you loving God and loving your neighbor? Are are you being a witness for him? Are you loving even your enemies? Are you caring for the poor and the the widows and the orphans? Are you you giving the Lord your time? Are you giving him your treasure? Are you tithing? Are you giving him your talents? Are you serving him? Are you obeying him with what you know, with what you know God wants you to do? Again, obedience isn't always easy. Honestly, the task the Israelites had, it wasn't that hard. You know, marching around the city. But, but it seemed crazy to obey. Sometimes obedience is harder. I get that. But the truth remains, we've got to obey. That's our option. We've got to obey. Some of you know this about me. From 1999 to 2005, I pastored the Richfield Church of the Nazarene at Mount Morrison Irish Road. Some of you, you know, some of you are gluttons for punishment because some of you were at Richfield and I've been your pastor twice now. And, you know, so I'm sorry for that. (laughs) Richfield, when I went there, and this is all about God, don't hear anything other than it was about God. The, The attendance just boomed and we went from like 450 to 900 in six and a half years. And God was blessing, and it seemed like we were always in a building project, and we were doing great things, and people were coming to know Jesus, and it was awesome. And I loved that church. And in September of 2004, a guy by the name of Keith Wright, district superintendent in Kansas City, called me and said, hey, you know, there's a church out here in Kansas, and they really want you. And I said, no, 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 no. And he called again later, like, I don't know, in November or something. I said, no, 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 no. And he called again in January, and he said, Rob, they really, they really want to talk to you. And so I called my district superintendent, a guy named Steve Anthony. Maybe you've heard of that guy. And I said, you know, Dr. Anthony, I don't want to go to Kansas. You know, everything is going great here at Richfield. I don't want to go to Kansas. But I, I want to be obedient. If God wants me there, of course I want to be there, but I don't think he wants me there because, you know, I like it here and God's been blessing here and it's been great. Dr. Anthony said, well, sometimes a church just needs to hear somebody say no. I said, well, I can do that. I can say no. And so, so we said we would go and fully intending on saying no. And so we went out there and we met with the board 
And God just really came. And Carla and I both sensed it. And so we said yes. To make a long story short, we said yes. So I was just, you know, getting uh, everything together. I was just going to drive out, and they were going to come out in the summer after the house sold and the boys got done with school. So I was at Walmart, Belsey Road, getting the essentials for my 700-mile trip. You know, hot tamales, crunch bars, <laughs> you know, Verner's, all the things that you need to have if you're taking a 700-mile uh, trip by yourself. And, and when I was in, the, in Walmart getting the stuff, it's just Carla and me, she was off shopping getting something else. I started having a crisis. I don't know how else to describe it. It was like, Rob, what in the world are you doing? And you're uprooting your family. You don't know anybody in Kansas. You, why are you doing this? You know, everything's going great here. Your family's here. Why don't you call Keith right up and tell him you made a mistake? And about that time, over the PA system at Walmart on Belsey Road, came this song. I'm going to Kansas City, Kansas City, here I come. I'm not kidding. I'm going to Kansas City, Kansas City, here that, I come. That came over. I had to go find Carla. She was, I don't know where she was. She was someplace else. I found her and I said, Carla, do you hear what's being played? And she said, yeah, what's the big deal? I said, Carla, I'm going to Kansas City. I said, I was just having this crisis. I thought that God didn't, didn't want us to go and I didn't know where we should go. And then, and then this song came on. I've never heard that song played any place except in Kansas City. And God works and God moves. And when we say yes to him, even when it seems crazy, even when it's outside of our box, even when we don't know what else is going on, we say yes to him. Yes, Lord, yes. I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to go where you want me to go. I'm going to give what you want me to give. I'm going to be who you want me to be. When we say yes to him, God blesses. And my question for you is, are you saying yes to him? Simple, really. What does God want me to do with my whole big life? I don't know. But in the things you do know, are you doing the things that God would have you to do? You want to overcome the problems and the situations? You want God's blessing upon your life? And say yes to him on the things you already know he wants you to do. And when you do that, God will pour out his blessings. I'm not saying you're going to strike it rich. I'm not saying any of those things don't misunderstand me. What I'm saying is God will be with you. And as you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. And those, and those huge issues that seem so insurmountable suddenly become manageable. Why? Because God's blessing is there. Because why? You've been obedient and you've been trusting and you've been surrounding yourself with Christian friends and you've been turning it into a holy endeavor and you've been saying, your plan's not my plan's and I'm shrinking this thing down to size and I'm giving it over to you. That's what we're talking about today. 